What's that sound? That's the sweet sound of bacon. I like bacon. You like bacon. I like a biblical narrative podcast with Andy Rigoni. You like a biblical narrative podcast with Andy Rigoni. So, what is this? Biblical details, historical context that puts you in the action. And with that, let's get started. Hey, everybody. Have you ever had that moment when everybody else in the room gets the joke, but you? And of course, in not understanding the joke, you now become the new joke. Okay, I find myself as the object of such humor on a regular basis, and of course, I act like I understand and laugh when cued to laugh, but in the meantime, I'm thinking, I have no idea why that was funny. Maybe I have misfires. Maybe my synapses just don't work right. But sometimes I have a hard time connecting the dots. Maybe I'm so bent on my own thinking that I'm too stubborn to appreciate the thinking of others. Who knows? But I I will say this, though. I sometimes can be a little sheepish, if not downright embarrassed, if not understanding something. In our narrative today, we have Peter having one of those moments. Not with others, but with God. On his way to Caesarea to meet with Cornelius, Peter has an extended time with God to better understand what God is aiming to do. It all comes together as Peter begins to connect the dots. So here we go. Starting their journey out of Apollonia, another Roman colony situated some 25 miles south of Caesarea, the ten men anticipate a full day ahead of them. Apollonia sits perched atop of a 40-foot bluff and takes in the vast blue Mediterranean below. The road weaves its way north along the bluffs and ravines, periodically encroaching the nearby sandy beaches that line the great sea. The morning air is damp, yet temperate, which is typical of any coastal city throughout much of the Roman Empire. As the ten make their way north toward Caesarea, Peter thinks and prays about what's ahead. He's not sure what to expect, but as God's ambassador, he has since learned to expect the unexpected. His job is to figure out what God is up to and to improvise from there. Several steps away from the others, Peter prays aloud, Lord, you're moving me into a very uncomfortable place, but I think you're already well aware of that. I just don't know what I'm seeing my way through to clearly communicate what needs to be communicated. How do I explain all this to the Jewish believers? I feel like I'm trying to bridge a canyon with just a single board and some mortar. Heck, I don't even fully know what to make of this myself. What's he doing? asks the optionist who leans over to one of Peter's men. He points over to Peter and mockingly contorts his face with a puzzled look. Peter's man, seeing the humor of the optionist's face, smiles and responds, Well, isn't it obvious? He's praying. You pray, right? Uh, Of course, replies the optionist. But we've been walking for a long time, and, well, he's been at this for a while. Peter's man laughs at this. (laughs) Yeah, I suppose he has. But you should hear about what Peter has seen and experienced ever since he met the Lord. To say his life has changed would be an understatement. And God has used Peter to do some pretty amazing things. You wouldn't believe me if I told you. With a snarky tone, the optionist responds, Oh, try me. Feeling helpless, Peter continues to pray aloud. Lord, I guess I didn't see it coming. Why didn't you warn me about this? If the Gentiles end up receiving the same spirit as we have received from you, doesn't that change everything? 
Doesn't that eliminate the, the idea that we Jews are your chosen and privileged people? Doesn't that erase the past 2,000 years of our special history with you? What does this do with the law given to us by Moses? Is it no longer valid? Oh my goodness. If the law is no longer valid, can you imagine what kind of heretic I'm going to be labeled as? They'll kill me. If the Spirit of God is now given to just about anyone who seeks you out, how do those of us who have been given direct commands from you, I might add, benefit? We have followed the law all of our lives, and now what? Do the commands of the law become irrelevant? These Gentiles who know nothing about you may now have the same access to you as we have had? Lord, it's just not fair. The others can't help but watch Peter in the distance as he waves his hands around and talks to the air. The option stares and tilts his head in amazement as he watches. Yeah, he does do that, one of Peter's men confesses. In the back of Peter's mind, new thoughts begin to emerge. Peter, you've known about this ever since I've been with you. I've also reminded you when I placed Saul in your life. Remember how I called Saul? The Jewish religious lawyer and most unlikely character I could call to be a light unto the Gentiles? He will speak well unto this matter. Peter argues back. Yes, Lord, you're right about Saul and his unique situation. But when did you ever warn me about this when I was with you? Oh, Peter, my rock. The voice in Peter's head continues. I made many references about this when I was with you. Let me jog your memory. Remember how I turned away the wealthy young man who approached me? Yeah, Peter questions where this is going. He was a good guy, but he wasn't willing to abandon everything to follow me. In contrast, Peter, you were. I was so moved by your candor at that moment. Do you remember asking, what will we get in return for our devotion? Feeling somewhat embarrassed by this memory, Peter slumps his head. Yeah. Well, the voice continues in Peter's head. I assured you that when the time arrived for the world to be made right, that you and the other disciples would sit on the twelve thrones in judgment over the twelve tribes of Israel. Those who were willing to give up all for my sake would receive far more in my kingdom. I also shared that those who are least in this world would become great in the kingdom of heaven. Do you remember that, Peter? Yes, of course, Lord, but how does this relate to the Gentiles gaining access to you? Anyone who gives up all for my sake. Anyone. This isn't just for the Jews only, Peter. This is for anyone willing to follow me. Did you hear that? Anyone. The voice goes on. Peter Remember how I shared a few parables about the kingdom? I know you do, but let me remind you. Do you remember the parable about the landowner? The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire people to work his farm. They agreed to a wage that would be received at the end of the day, and they worked hard. As the day went on, new workers arrived on the farm to work. The landowner offered employment to them when he saw them hanging around the town doing nothing, and he did this several times throughout the day. As the workday continued into the late afternoon, the landowner went back to town and noticed a bunch of people still standing around doing nothing. Nobody else had employed them, so the landowner brought them back to finish out the day with his crew. As dusk arrived, the landowner's foremen called the workers together to receive their pay. Beginning with those who arrived in the late afternoon, the foremen paid them a full day's wage. 
Those who had worked the whole day were surprised and thought, wow, this landowner is really generous to these workers who only worked a few minutes. Comparing workloads, they began to adjust their hourly wage calculations and thought, we can't wait to see how much we'll get paid. We've accomplished so much more after a full day's work, so it makes sense that our pay would be based upon the amount of work that we put in. So when the foreman paid them their full day's wage, they grew angry. They protested. This is unfair, they said. How come we don't get more than these guys who only worked a few minutes? We've worked hard all day, only to be paid the same amount as these freeloaders who got lucky to be picked by the end of the day. The landowner heard the protests and responded, Why are you so concerned about how much I paid these workers? Didn't you agree upon these wages at the outset of the day? Aren't you glad that I chose you to work my farm in the first place? It sure beats not working, doesn't it? Besides, why are you concerned with what I do with my money? It's my money, not yours. If I choose to demonstrate kindness to somebody, isn't that my prerogative? You've been treated fairly, so be on your way. Your jealousy over my kindness to others has clouded your understanding of who I am and what I'm about. Appreciating how this parable has come back with a new great level of clarity, Peter says, I can't believe I missed that, Lord. We Jews have been working the farm all day without appreciation that we are working for a generous and kind landowner. Instead of gratitude, we have shown contempt towards you only to become jealous of your kindness towards others who haven't worked as hard as we have, like the Gentiles. Another epiphany arises. That's what you meant when you said the last will be first and now the first will be last, isn't it? Growing excited by these new strains of thinking, Peter says, Lord, you said there were others? The voice continues, Yes, there are others, Peter. The kingdom of heaven is also like a landowner who has leased out his land to farmers who agreed to pay him back, but they never repaid him with a part of their proceeds. Instead, they killed the rent collectors and even the heir to the land, who happened to be the son of the landowner, by the way. The kingdom of heaven will be taken away from these underhanded farmers and given to new farmers who will produce good fruit and give back a part of their proceeds to the landowner. The new farmers will appreciate what they have been given, and out of gratitude, they will give back a portion of the proceeds. Peter smiles. So you're saying we have stolen from you, ignored your warnings, destroyed your messengers, and we've even killed your son. Are you saying the Gentiles will get it right? Yes, but let me continue, says the voice. The kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who has prepared a great wedding feast for his son. He sent out a save the date and even formal invitations to all of his loyal subjects, but they ignored his request. So, he sent messengers, his servants, out to remind them of the coming wedding feast and that their attendance was expected. But they continued to ignore the king's servants. So, the furious king dealt harshly with his subjects, who turned out to be far less than loyal than he had hoped. He made life painful for them, because they they failed to see and appreciate all that he had done for them. So, the king sent his servants to invite others to the wedding feasts, those who were not his quote-unquote loyal subjects. At least they would share in the celebration of his son's royal wedding. The voice continues, Peter My not-so-loyal people simply weren't interested in searching me out. 
So I sent messengers to warn them over and over and over. Listen to what I shared with Moses. O Israel, I will rouse your jealousy through a people who are not even a nation. I will provoke your anger through the foolish Gentiles. Later, I sent Isaiah to proclaim this message to a divided nation of Israel. I was ready to be found, but no one was looking for me. I said, here I am, here I am, to a nation that did not call on my name. All day long, I opened my arms to a rebellious people, but they followed their own evil paths and crooked schemes. Peter, it comes down to this. My chosen people have become so stubborn that they have missed out on the most miraculous event ever, the resurrection of my son. Isaiah warned them, when you hear what I say, you will not understand. When you see what I do, you will not comprehend. For the hearts of these people are hardened and their ears cannot hear. They have closed their eyes so their eyes cannot see. Because they are unwilling to understand, they will not turn to me and let me heal them. So I will make myself available to those who will take the time to search me out and understand. Do you now understand, Peter? The voice gently prods. One more thought. If a man who owns a hundred sheep loses one, won't he go out of his way to find it? The others will be all right because they haven't strayed. When he returns with the lost sheep, doesn't the kingdom of heaven rejoice? Peter, your focus shouldn't be on how Jewish believers are going to receive the Gentiles. That's not important. Your focus should be on how I rejoice over anyone who seeks me out and comes under my care. My goal has always been and always will be to reward those who search for me regardless of their bloodline. Peter, I need you to find the lost sheep. I need you to find the lost coin. I need you to find the lost son and help them bring them under my care. Help them see what they are missing and redirect them my way. Loyal subject or Gentiles, I simply want my creation to search for me and to see how eternity with me is truly good. At last, now do you understand? Now watch and see what I do. Arriving at a bluff overlooking the larger Roman city of Caesarea Maritime, the ten men stand to take in the view of the grand city framed by an endless ocean behind it. Taking in the grandeur of the amphitheater, the grand palace extending into the sea, the great wall, and the city nestled behind it, all stand in awe of the view in front of them. It's good to be home, the optionist remarks to one of the servants. Yes, sir, the servant replies. Peter jokes to the others. Weren't we just here? This gets a small laugh. The last time we stood at this very spot, we were escorting our beloved Saul here to catch a ship to Cilicia. But this time, I think we're in for something quite special. Folks, let's connect the dots. Following the rules does not equal to seeking the heart and passion of God. Following the rules just means compliance to a way of living, often without knowing why. Why have the rules? Rules are given to curtail abusive behavior that would otherwise happen should there be no rules. Rules provide well-defined boundaries for civil behavior, and that isn't a bad thing. If humanity is bent on selfish behavior, then rules come in quite handy, especially if a culture agrees to having such rules in place. 
If somebody breaches the rules, then the governing culture will come down quite hard on the, re- on the rebel and help him feel the pain of his rebellious act. But does following the rules change our inward desires? Sometimes they do have that effect on us. My work requires a dress code. That places a minimum standard on my dress habits. Setting out to meet that standard, I started dressing nicely. Over time, I started enjoying the process of dressing nicer and have come to appreciate having a nicer wardrobe. What started as a minimum standard for me has now become a greater interest over time. And while I wouldn't say that it's a passion just yet, I would say that I aim to do more than carry out the bare minimum. The rules say, wear slacks and a collared shirt. But the spirit behind the rule says, look nice because you represent us and we want to make sure that we have a good image in our community as a business. As a motivator, I wish to look nice in front of prospective companies that we aim to do business with. My paycheck and my future with the company rides on this, right? In other words, I benefit when I look nicer than the bare minimum. But what if, while meeting the bare minimum, I still look slovenly? My clothes aren't ironed, I smell, my heart, my hair is a mess, and I'm no longer representing the company very well, am I? In fact, I am probably the wrong guy to be representing the company in the first place, and my boss will eventually have to have to share such insight with me. Why? Because I'm not getting it. My response? Well, what if it was this? But boss, I've worn exactly what you told me to wear. I'm wearing both slacks and a collared shirt. I'm a rule follower, and you've got nothing on me. So, after being fired because I got my head in the sand, my boss might do me the favor by explaining this. Andy, following the rules by the letter of the law, at the expense of understanding the why, or the spirit behind the law, is simply to miss out on why we hired you in the first place. We needed somebody who could represent us well, and not portray us in a bad light. We've worked really hard to create a great business in this community, and we're not about to allow you to spoil our reputation because you insist on being stubborn or worse, stupid. As a rule follower, you might think yourself to be in the clear, but Andy, you're failing to see why we made the rule in the first place. You've got to want what we want for you if you're going to stay employed here. Guys, this is Israel in a nutshell. They became so focused on the rules that they forgot the spirit behind the rules. Following the rules would not bring them any closer to God. The design behind the law was to incentivize Israel to pursue after God. But rule following became the norm, and God was ever distant in the minds of the bare minimum rule followers. So what has been needed to give people a desire to search him out? Well, the role of the Holy Spirit comes into play here. Whereas the law would only produce rule followers, the Holy Spirit empowers seekers to want what God wants for their lives and for the lives of others. The Holy Spirit gives followers the capacity to know and love God and to love others as God loves them. This is the unveiling of the new covenant that was promised to Israel as far back as Moses in Deuteronomy and later on in Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Not only does the new covenant make it possible to have forgiveness of sin, Um, But the New Covenant also promises the writing of God's laws on the hearts of men. In other words, through the Holy Spirit, the New Covenant makes it possible for us to know God, to love God, and to desire what He desires for us. In other words, it's written on our hearts. God wants you to seek Him out. 
That's always been his desire for humanity. While God gave us the rules to follow, our problem was that we failed to see why he gave us the rules in the first place. Thankfully, in the fulfillment of the new covenant promise, God has given us the Holy Spirit in an effort to empower us to desire what he desires. What God desires is what eternity is all about. When we desire what God desires, we begin to see what eternal life really looks like. It's a beautiful relationship with him forever. Folks, in parting, here it is. May he be the object of your passion and delight. May you desire what he desires because eternity dwells here. All right, everybody, have a great week. We'll see you next time.